0: Hello and Shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Pastor Joe Amog, coming to you all the way from Out of Ashes Ministry, but not in southwest Louisiana today. Uh, I am actually recording this in the beautiful, smoky mountains of Tennessee. Uh, that's right. Uh, my wife and I were able to take a little trip and uh, get away, and there is nowhere that we find more beautiful and more inspiring than, uh, than the mountains. And uh, I know that those of you that are listening from the Pacific Northwest or from the Rockies will say, oh, those are not mountains. <laughs> those are hills. Uh, but hey, when you are a flatlander from Louisiana, uh, like I am, then uh, these are mountains and they are beautiful and we love them, and uh, they just uh, they they just are, are, are wonderful, so we are glad to be here. Uh, it is uh, approaching thanksgiving, and uh, if you hear this uh, Wednesday, uh, then it will be the day before Thanksgiving. So let me say happy thanksgiving to everyone and I uh, hope that you have a wonderful time, a wonderful day uh, whether or not you whether you have a large family, small family, whatever the case may be. Uh, I hope that you find some uh, things to acknowledge, Thanksgiving, and some ways to find uh, being thankful, making a part of, of your every day, especially around this time and this season. And uh, we do indeed have a ton to be thankful for. We are incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate, and I am thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for Hebrew Nation for allowing me this platform and uh, for all of you who make this community possible. And so uh we are going to get into today's episode. Uh but let me just say, since I'm not recording from home and from or from uh from the Ritter, uh if you hear any weird noises or any background noise, please forgive. Uh but we are making it happen on the road uh so that we can talk to you before Thanksgiving. And so before we get into to this week's episode, let us, as we always do, go to the Father in prayer and in Thanksgiving. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, Avinu Henshba Shemaim, our Father in Heaven, we are incredibly thankful for this opportunity to be together, for the way that you've directed our lives and brought us to this season. And we thank you, Father, with all of our being, for all of our listeners and everyone that we know. We love you. Amen. And gals, so we are uh, going to continue this week where we left off last week. And if you didn't catch last week's, I would, or if you're not following us on Shabbat, uh, I would really encourage you to do so, ask you to do that. Um, As I I didn't mention in the intro, but uh, if you're listening for the first time and uh, don't know anything about us, uh, we are uh, a Yeshua centered Torah pursuit ministry uh, in uh, southwest Louisiana. Called Out of Ashes. And uh, we have a wonderful fellowship uh, locally and a great online community. And uh, we live stream our Shabbat services uh, each Shabbat, uh, except for, you know, exceptions like we had this last week where uh, we were out of town, a lot of folks traveling, and we did not have service. Sometimes that happens. Uh, but uh, throughout the year, we live stream our services every single Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central, and we live stream to our website, org, as well as to Facebook and YouTube. And so uh, wherever you like to catch content, uh, you can see us there. And then uh, we generally take the teaching portion of the service and upload it to YouTube for archival purposes and for uh, easy viewing uh, during the week after that Shabbat. So uh, catch us there, but if you've not been following along and not been um, with us the last couple of weeks, or I didn't catch last week's radio show, um, I was given a, an incredibly beautiful book uh, by an incredibly beautiful friend of mine, um, by Rabbi Shmuel Reichman, and the book is called The Journey to Your Ultimate Self, Lech Lecha. And the astute among you will know that Lech Lecha is uh, uh, the name of a Parsha, where Avram Avinu is called to go uh, go for himself uh, and uh, this uh, and Rabbi Reichman um, takes this whole idea and just uh, expands and expounds upon uh, an alternate translation of that. instead of being go uh, to yourself or go go for yourself go, uh, he translates it, translates it excuse me as go to yourself. And this idea of journey to the ultimate self, and uh, this can sound somewhat uh, humanistic. I have struggled a little bit with this idea, but the backstory behind this book uh, and my experience with it and the reason why it was gifted to me was um, I've said several times in our our fellowship uh, teachings and and just in in correspondence and uh, communication that uh, for many, many, many years, even well before I... Uh, was even you know torah pursue uh, I looked around at my life and i really didn 't like it i didn 't like uh, i didn 't like myself i didn 't like how i uh, how I interacted with the world around me I just I had a lot of issues uh, not to say that i don 't still <laughs> but you know as we do we grow hopefully and we heal and, and uh, we 're restored and so uh, many 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 years ago. Uh, I began praying a prayer that basically said, you know, God, I, I believe you're good and I believe you're right and true and, and sovereign and wise. And so I can, I, I have, I'm having a hard time believing that what I am today is what you created, what you intended when you created me, right? The the negativity, the cynicism, the hurt, the, you know, the, all, all the things, the judgment, all, all the bitterness, all the things that we struggle with in our lives, that we know are not pleasing to the Father and not good for us and not good for the world around us, I, I just began to really struggle with that and say, you know, I, I don't believe that's what you created. When you created me, when you when you had the idea that the world needed me, what, um, you know, I, I don't believe this is what you had in mind because it's not in your nature. It's not who you are. And so I began to pray this prayer that God would restore me to Whatever his ideal was, what, what was his ideal when he created me? Before the world, before my decisions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, had kind of mangled and marred and perverted who I am, what did God create? What was his intention for me? And I began to ask him to restore me to that initial ideal, that, that pure, unblemished, innocent, holy, divine spark— that he he used to create this person that I am, right? And I think we all have a, a similar, uh, you know, testimony. Or, or, in some ways, I think we can all relate to this idea that we um, we are probably not who who we, you know, who, who God intended us to be. We all have been beat up a little bit by life. We've all been, you know, banged up by decisions and people and different things and And I don't know about you, but it it got it gets to the point where i just don't I'm not happy with with what's going on in the state of Joe you know that kind of idea and so um there's there's many things I've been as i said praying for years around this same idea and thinking about and wrestling with and searching the scriptures for and and looking for wisdom for uh because as I said in last week's episode, you know we, I'm thankful for my upbringing, I'm thankful for my background, even though I'm highly critical of it sometimes. Uh, but the, the the backgrounds that I grew up in told me that, you know, I was a sinner, and I, I was, you know, born in sin, and, and I was, you know, all these things that we talk about. And so trying to square those two things is really tough. Uh, you know, for those of you that have struggled with wearing shame and, and guilt for, you know, a long time, it, it can be really tough. So uh, this this book, uh, it, even in the just the introduction and the first couple of uh, of sections, it, it has it's like oh wow somebody else has kind of done this work already you know something that I've been working on and and meditating on and praying through and again studying and seeking for wisdom for the last decade or more probably well, more fifteen seventeen years maybe um, somebody's done this work already and while this is a new book by uh, Rabbi Reichman. Uh, and he's a young rabbi, um, it is based off of the wisdom of um, of Judaism for, you know, centuries. And so I just, I, I fell in love with the book. Uh, I'm sharing it with everybody I know of that that deals with, you know, self-issues and things like that. And uh, it is easy when you hear this journey to your ultimate self, It's it, depending on how you were raised, what background you grew up with, it's easy to kind of Default to this idea of like, well, yeah, but my, my, but self is the enemy, right? Self is the opposite of what I want to be. Um, everything in my tradition told me that self is the enemy of God, that this fallen nature, uh, that, you know, self, selfishness, flesh, um, you know, all these Pauline things that we, we've studied and we've, we've learned our whole lives and, uh, you know passages from uh, from the the second testament and all these things, uh, all of these are 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 contrary to the idea, the very title of this book, Journey to Your Ultimate Self, right? And it can sound, and again, I've struggled with this a little bit. It can sound kind of humanistic on one hand, and on the other hand, it can sound kind of word of faith ish, uh, prosperity gospel ish. If you're familiar with. Uh, with those traditions and and those backgrounds, and what I love about uh, about the book and about the way that rabbi Reichman kind of builds upon each parsha uh, is that the book is is divided into parshiot and it's it speaks of things each parsha which are this this long process so all throughout the 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 Parsha cycle uh in a year, you go through this journey of of returning to your ultimate self and the the basis and the the understanding for this the foundation for this is that uh, you are created by the most uh the, the most high the creator of the universe the, the 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 wisdom and the sovereignty and the holiness and the majesty of the king of of the entire universe right the master of creation and so this is not about uh, this is not about you know you becoming your own god. That that is absolutely contrary to this message. So if that's kind of the feeling you get, the vibe you're getting, then I want to just correct that for a minute. This is not about you becoming your own god and your own source and your own righteousness and all those kinds of things. That is not what this is about. This is about finding the person that God created, in a, in a humble uh, and, and a repentant. A, a journey back to, to the, the again, the, the divine spark, the divine idea that God had when he saw that the world and humanity had a gap in it. And what it was missing was you. And I think that's really profound. Although it can be kind of hard for us to get our heads around, it can be, it, it's really profound. And so um, this is a, this is a journey as the title implies and as i've read through the, the parshiot so far uh this week we are in in parsha uh toldot uh the generations uh, uh the accounts and we uh meet up with yitzak uh, i'm sorry with uh with yakov and esav right uh and we find some really interesting interesting things here as it relates to to the things we just talked about self flesh all those things right the the demonization of 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 humanity is one of the i think the toxic things that that i have experienced in my in my religious upbringing this the i heard someone say one time this is going to be kind of you know controversial maybe for you but that Yeshua did not come to teach us how to be like God, but Yeshua's purpose was to teach us how to be fully and perfectly human. And when I heard that, it was was earlier in my, my, you know, kind of renaissance of my faith walk. Um, And when I first heard that, I really had to put, I really pushed against it in my, just in my heart and my mind, I thought, Oh, man, I don't know how I feel about that. But the more I let it sit in, the more I kind of marinated on it, which is kind of my process and what I do. But I, the more I began to, to understand what the, the lecturer was talking about and this idea of Yeshua's, Yeshua's goal and mission or part of his goal and mission is to restore us back to Adam. Right back to the garden. That is what Messiah's all about. That's what the the be, the beginning stages of Messiah's work, which in my opinion we're still in, the beginning stages, the intermediate stages of Messiah's work is all about jump starting restoration. And at some point he will come and complete that restoration. And but we are still in the process. And the the process is to return us back to what God when he God created humanity, when he created Adam and Chavah, the, what was his intention? And his intention was to walk with them and to be with them and the, for them to be a holy people set apart unto him, right? And so it's not about being God. Only God can be God. And we we are to have godly characteristics, right? We are to reflect the nature and character of God, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later. But this idea that God created humans to be an expression of himself, not to be him, to be an expression uh, we, we've talked about the, uh, maybe last week or maybe Shabbat, I don't remember now, but, uh, Rabbi Rachman uses this, this illustration of like a projector, right? And if you remember the old school overhead projectors, right? Uh, you put a transparency with some text or some image on it and a light shone shine, through it into this magnifying glass and blah, blah, blah. And it, it spread on the wall, right? It projected it on the wall. Now, the projection that you see is not the actual thing. It's not the actual image on the transparency. It's a projection, right? And so the, the, the idea that we – what are we projecting? Are we projecting who we really are? Are we projecting our fallen state? Are we pre- are our broken state? Are we projecting the image of God and His characteristics? Are we projecting the hurts and the pains and the 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 twisting that that we have because of life and because of decisions and people, etc.? And so, this whole thing is is not about us returning to or finding or creating a, a ourself as God. It is about returning to again in in a, in humility and and repentance Shuva. this is a returning um it is a returning to what god had in mind when he created us that perfect beautiful uh destiny and calling and wiring and the our makeup and all those all those things and so um th- that's what this is all about so this this parsha uh parsha toldot um, deals with uh you know, Esau and, and Yaakov. And what we're going to find and what we're going to hear in the story of Yaakov and Esau is something that should sound very familiar to us. It should sound, um, it should sound I would say, even Pauline. Uh, if, if if you're familiar you know of course with the new testament and, and and those teachings this is gonna sound pretty similar and it's gonna kind of feel like home so i hope that it gives you some comfort and stuff so um so we have this this uh story uh, of the birth of yaakov and Esau right and we know that uh that rivka's pregnancy is really is really difficult there are these these Two you know inside these these twins basically uh, that are struggling, and uh, there is uh, an interesting uh, uh, comment from Rashi or commentary from Rashi and he is quoting the Midrash and and riffing kind of off of the Midrash and talks about the reason for the the struggle being that uh, whenever Rivka passes a a place of Torah study where righteous people are studying um and, and learning about God that Yaakov was drawn toward it. And whenever she passed the house of idolatry, of idol worship, Esau was drawn towards it. Um and that, that that's this is where the struggle really was. And it's the idea that you know that Jacob really desired the the spiritual things, the inner things, the uh what we would call Olam Haba, right? The world to come. And Esau really desired olam hazeh, the world that is now, um, this this you know this physical, um, sensational world that we live in today, and that that this in essence was the the battle that was really taking place um, in Rivka's womb, and so the this can be you know on the surface like that's it's cute you know and that's that's fine, uh, but there's some. Some interesting things beneath the surface. And and I want to talk about these uh, as we kind of wrap up this first segment and get into the application, the next segment. So in order to kind of understand the the depth of this battle, because whatever we think the battle in the womb was about over superiority, over who would be the firstborn, et cetera, et cetera, it all ties into this, this fundamental foundational battle of the love of the, the world that is to come and the love of this current world and its current things. Now, let me just say this. Whenever I talk about the world to come, I personally am not referring to the idea of, well, when we die and go to heaven, okay? And I don't think that's what, uh, what the, the, the Jewish understanding would have been either, olam haba is the restored world. It's this world, but it's restored with righteousness and justice, right? And holiness. As opposed to this current world we live in that is fraught with violence and manipulation and oppression and, you know, all those things, right? So that's the dichotomy we're talking about. We're not talking about heaven and hell. We're not even talking about heaven and earth. We're talking about the earth in its... Uh, in its broken form versus the earth in its restored form. And this the the messianic age is what we would refer to, right? And so this is the, all of these things have to do with this battle. All of our explanations that we've talked about in in you know in Jacob and Esau still go back to this foundational battle because it is the root of everything that we are and where we value and what we place priority on. Uh, has to do it falls in one of those two categories: whether we are uh, our love for a world that is restored, or whether we are motivated by a, a love for this current world uh, and the state of this current world. Olam hazeh, and and that is the foundational basis between all of our uh, beneath. Excuse me, all of our motivations is what is our motivation? Are we are we just? Are we just filled to capacity and 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 do we fill our days and our time and our thoughts with loving this the way the world is and just wanting to 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 you know squeeze out every bit of enjoyment we can have in this world? Or are we trying and and, and fighting and struggling to be enlightened, to be restored, to be healed, to be redeemed, and and then to be active participants in spreading? that redemption and that restoration to the world around us. So there are two Hebrew terms uh, that are in play here. And it, they, one is, is Ikar, and one is Tafel, Ikar and Tafel. And what they are, they're just two different words. Uh, ikar means primary or of essence, uh, uh, and Tafel is, means secondary. Um, so the way this works is that uh ikar is the inner essence and the main um the main entity the main thing the point right and tafel is what enables ikar to flourish it's what enables ikar to be primary and to support it right and so how we prioritize or what we call Ikar and what we call Tafel in our lives are going to make a huge difference in how we live and, and how our life is productive or not productive, how we how we make decisions, how we make priorities, how we treat people, how we look at ourselves, how we look at Hashem. It all is a matter of what we call Ikar and Tafel. What is primary? What is the essence of And then what is the thing that is supposed to be of support? So in the next segment, we're going to get a little bit more into Jacob and Esau and bring some application to this for us. Don't go away. We'll be right back right after the break. everybody welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so we are talking about the concepts of ikar and tafel ikar being that which is primary and of essence and tafel being that which is secondary now just because something is secondary does not mean that it is less important and we're gonna see that as we kind of talk through this. So uh, Rabbi Reichman gives us a couple of il- quick illustrations, and you can think of your own that are helpful for you. but um, if you think about uh, if you think about an orange. Um, the inner fruit, the the you know the part that you eat is the ikar. It is the essence. It is the the, the fruit, the thing that you that nourishes you, um, and the the peeling, the outside is the tafel. It is the secondary. It's what protects and causes and enables the fruit to actually be what it is, and and so those of you that have ever gardened or or anything like that. Um, you kinda of understand this concept, right? If the the peel is not good, then the inner fruit automatically goes bad, right? If the if the, the the peel of an apple is pierced by a bug or by a disease or by a bruise or by a cut or by anything, you know that the fruit right near it and underneath it um is more susceptible to go bad. So the idea of of ikar and tafel of primary and secondary, it does not mean that one is less important than the other. It's simply the priority and the place where we put them, right? And so what we have here in the story of uh, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau, is this 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 miscategorization or this uh, misprioritization of what is important, what is the essence, and what is secondary. And as we talked about Rashi quoting the Midrash, you know, about the, the struggle between the uh, Yaakov's pull to Um, to study, to Torah, to wisdom, to those things, and Esau's study, to our our pull towards idolatry, um, is certainly, that explanation is probably shaped by later uh, Jewish experience and understanding, but I think it remains the same that we have some really important lessons to learn here when we're talking about returning to our making to to our ultimate self the God the, the self that God created uh, that this that this world needs right and and, and that's a, the big point is that when we talk about the the you that God created you to be, it's that this this time, this season in human history and the human story, this part you are here because the world, humanity, existence, creation, reality needs, the divine fingerprint that God created you with in this time, right? There is no coincidence. And, and when we wonder, well, why was I born where I was born? Why was I born when I was born? Why was I born to whom I was born? All these things. It's because in Hashem's ultimate wisdom, he saw that that human existence at this point in time needed you. And so he put his fingerprint on you and wired you the way he did and and created you the way he did for that reason. And the world needs you, but it needs you to be truly you. And it needs you to be a healthy, productive, true to yourself you, not a reflection of what's around you, as we talked about last week's uh, episode, but a, a, a true inside out version of yourself. And so the 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 when we talk about ikar and tafel and we talk about it in the the terms of of ourselves and our existence, which one is primary, the soul or the flesh? Which one is secondary, the soul or the flesh? And again, I said this should kind of start to sound familiar uh, when when we look back on our our New Testament learnings. We could call it spirit and flesh, right? Which one is secondary and which one is primary? And I hope that this understanding, if it doesn't correct some things for you, that's that's fine. But maybe it recategorizes some things for you and helps you to see things maybe in a less toxic way, right? So the whole struggle with uh, Jacob and Esau is that Jacob, we are told in in the, the uh in Parsha Bereshit, I'm sorry, not in Parsha, but in the book of Bereshit, Sefer Bereshit, we are told that uh, Jacob uh, dwelt in tents, right? While Esau was a hunter. And this has been, you know, we've we've struggled with this a little bit in Christianity. I mean, uh, what does it mean that Jacob was, you know, in like to live in tents, um, and he, you know, he he was near his mother all the time, and and those kinds of things. While Esau is the, the wild and woolly hunter, he's the man's man, and we've we've kind of sh- taken this to mean that well, Jacob was maybe kind of effeminate, maybe he was not, you know, he was a mama's boy. There, you know, there's all these kinds of things that we've we've talked about, heard, maybe thought about around the scriptures' description of the two brothers, and depending on what time in history you're in. One of those could be more uh, likable and, and you know, and more feasible, more attractive than the other. Um, in our day and age, well, let me not, well, let me back up. In my generation and generations before me, um, the idea of a, a man's man, right, a, a, a masculinity, would have favored Esau, and so we kind of struggle with this idea of like, well, yeah, but why did God love Jacob so much? Because. Esau is really the man's man but that's looking at it through our modern day prism now in what the change that is happening in America for sure is the emasculation of men right masculinity is toxic and all these kinds of things so so if you if if this is your generation and this is kind of the way you you know think about things then Jacob would automatically kind of rise to the top a little bit so it's it's how we read it through our own cultural lenses now what I want to what I want to draw out is that the idea of Jacob uh, living in tents is the is a way of talking about Jacob uh, metaphorically or idiomatically that he is a man of study, and particularly he's a man of Torah study. While while Esau is a man of the wilderness, he's a man of the beast. So if you think back to if you've heard our Genesis uh, series or any anything or if, uh, you've you've listened to any of those. Think back upon this idea of, um, of sacred space, right? And inside of sacred space, whether that's Gan Eden, uh, Gan Eden or whether that's a mountaintop or whether that's the tabernacle or Beit HaMikdash, whatever that might be, inside of sacred space is order. Things are defined as they're supposed to be. There's, there's right ruling. There's wisdom. Uh, everything is, is order. It's the way it's supposed to be, right? And then outside of sacred space is the wilderness, right? It's where murder happens and oppression happens and, and disorder and chaos happens, right? So if we think about Jacob and Esau in light of that, then we kind of start to can see a different picture, hopefully, of what the scripture is telling us about who Jacob and Esau are. Jacob is this, this, this scholar, this man who is growing up in, in tents, think about them as little sacred spaces, right? He is concerned with godly wisdom, righteousness. He is concerned with study and Torah. He is concerned with, with, with olam haba, the world to come and restoring and his place and his duty to help in restoring that world. Whereas Esau is worried about the temporal. He's worried about the way things are right now. As I said earlier, he's worried about milking the very best that he can and the most enjoyment and and uh and and prosperity and everything that he can out of this current this current world really with no thought and no care for uh what the world will be and we see this become evident um as we go through the story and we see this that Esau you know he eventually sells his uh his birthright right he 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 sells the the one thing that is the biggest and most profound uh, gift that can be given to him. And we think about birthright, um, you know, the, being the Behor, the firstborn. We think about that maybe in different ways um, as far as what well, we know that um, the Behor, uh, through the bechorah, the, the, the blessing of the firstborn, uh, was given uh, a double portion um over you know over his his siblings uh over his other brothers he was you know he was given given wealth and you know and things uh, as a way uh to to continue to bless the family however the Bechorah is also about it's it's more so a spiritual blessing it's more a a spiritual covenant um Preservation mechanism. I guess if I could say it, if I could say it like that, this this idea is that in in the story of Yaakov um, and Esau, that Avram Avraham Avinu had just passed away. This is why they're making lentil soup because lentil soup is a um, is a kind a, of a, like, like a, a flag, a red light telling you that hey, there's a grieving happening, there's a a mourning happening, and it's because Avraham had just passed away, and so. Esau, it says that the scripture says that is he despised the birthright, and he talks about it. You know, he, he would eventually die anyway, and therefore there'd be no need for it, and uh, you know what use is it to him, et cetera, et cetera. And so, in in this in this, the words of Esau here, we can really see his motivation and his and his his priority. Esau is not looking to the next generation. He's not looking to further this covenant with the God of creation, the master of creation. He's not looking to pass it on and to preserve the, the whole covenant, which the covenant is in, in itself. It's the, it's the condensation and the concentration of a call to restore creation. That's what the Abrahamic covenant is. It's a, it's a calling of Abraham to become close to Hashem and to begin to restore creation, right? That's where the whole story begins. After the flood, after the Tower of Babel, all these things Hashem calls Avraham Avinu. And it is through him that all the nations of the world will bless themselves, right? They will bless themselves by him. It is this call to restore creation. That's what the covenant of Abraham is all about, or one of the things it's all about. And so we see Yaakov having this understanding that that the the Bechorah, the firstborn blessing is the 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 vehicle. It's the mode by which the responsibility to carry on the covenant, i.e., the restoration of the age, it is happening through that blessing and through that provision. So there are again. This is an idea. This is a a, a case of ikar and tafel. What's what's primary and what's secondary? The the. The the ikar the primary is that very thing. It is that this this blessing, this first one blessing, is the essence. It is the ikar. It is the the primary objective. In order for that to function and for that to proliferate and for that to expand, there has to be tafel. What is the tafel? The tafel then is the 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 second the double portion. It is you know the resources and all that to make that happen, right? And what we so what we see in, in, in Jacob and Esau is this mixing up of what's really important and what really matters in the long term. And so it's a battle of focus and a battle of priority, right? Esau has this distorted ideal. Um, and and relationship between Icar and Tafel, and his value is on the physical. Um, he, he's he's limited to the surface and to the reality as he knows it here in this current world, and and, it, and it's just he's trying to play the game, right? The game of this current world. And what wisdom does what what Esau sh- uh, what uh, rather what Yaakov shows us is that he's actually playing a different game. <laughs> he's playing a different game on a different field on a different level, right? And and so when we when we think about New Testament passages, when we think about Paul talking about flesh and spirit and and all these things and we're we're taught to deny our flesh, we're taught to deny ourselves, we're taught to deny these these things in favor of the spirit. What we I think miss in Paul's teachings is an understanding of of Ekar and Tefel, because Paul would have understood this idea. Paul would have understood. He he would have known the midrashim. He would have known the 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 ethics of of how these stories were told and 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 the wisdom that was imbued in them. And so, what what the teaching of of Paul's uh of Paul's you know letters have have done to many of us is said that well the flesh, which is. Me, right? I I am flesh. It's it's me. It's who I am. It, it's my body. It's my it's my desires. It's my passions. It's my you know wishes. It's all all these things. That has to be denied altogether, whole out and altogether. for something greater, which is the spiritual, right? That and and that is that is uh, creates a, a, some issue with us, and and we know this. I, I mean, I did youth ministry for a long long time. Uh, I've done ministry as a whole for a long time, and this is a conversation that I've had uh, ad nauseum with 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 people who want to please God, and they want to do the right thing, and they want to be, you know, they want to fulfill God's call for their lives. And they go, but like, but this is who I am. Like, how, how do I, you know, what am I, when I'm denying my flesh, what am I denying? I mean, yeah, I'm denying my my desire to, to sin, to, you know, to do things that is not pleasing to Hashem. Uh, yes, all of that. But what about the good parts of me? Am I denying that too? In other words, if I'm denying my flesh, i.e. myself, am I denying everything? Did God not, do I not have some good parts? Like, you know, do I not I- I exemplify some, some righteousness, some justice in my life? And so am I, am I, and then what, well, what do I know then? What, you know, and it becomes this whole thing. And and really what I, I want to draw out is that when we understand and when we when we think about the 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 spirit and flesh dichotomy and that battle uh that happens what we what we think about is or what I what I want us to think about is not outright denial of one or the other because in truth nobody lives that way nobody is outright denying their flesh every day all the time it just doesn't happen it's not it's not uh it's not rational it's not possible and so what we need to do is re rethink about the arguments that Paul is making in light of this ancient wisdom that, again, he would have been very versed in and would have understood. And and the idea of not all outright denial, the idea of reprioritizing, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the priority for us? What is ikar and what is Tafel? Are, are we in a mindset where we are using the the spiritual in order to access enjoyment and fulfillment in this life and in what it has to offer is that the way that we see our lives and i have to say that i think a lot of doctrine is geared that way that we use god as a genie we you know you've heard this before right we've used god as some kind of celestial santa claus and we we're trying in our life at points to manipulate him to make life better for us. And I'm I'm not saying don't pray for healing and that's not what I'm saying, but the idea that we think that that God is somehow here our prayers are only serving to to increase our enjoyment in this life and in this world and the way that is set up. Again, not not heaven or this earth, but the state of this world. That God, that way we can ask God and God's job and God's promise, God's promise, maybe sometimes we think is is to help us enjoy the state of this world. And that is a misprioritization of Ikar and Tafel, what is of essence and what is secondary. Listen, God doesn't hate your flesh god doesn't hate you god doesn't hate the person inside your flesh right however i understand now paul's argument to be that that's not primary yeshua himself even says right don't worry about what you'll eat or you know all those things focus on the kingdom right what is he what is he saying is he saying what you need to eat and your 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 needs your necessities your, you know, the flesh is not important. No, he's just talking about prioritization and what to put first, and what to understand as the helper, the secondary, the tafel. And so, the what I want you to understand and what I want you to, to be able to think about and meditate on this is this: that God doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate your flesh. Does he? Does he? Is he displeased with the way sometimes our flesh reacts? Yes. Is he displeased with sometimes the way we, we have set the right thing as the wrong thing or the, the first thing as the second thing and, and all? Yeah, maybe so. But the what are we reflecting and what are we projecting? That's going to show us and that's going to help us to understand how we're prioritizing our lives, right? And our goal and the part of returning to our, our ultimate self and part of returning to our mission and our goal is to set those priorities right is to make sure that we understand what is the main thing listen the bottom line is that we need we need the physical we need flesh we need we need that part because that is the part that enables us to live out the wisdom and the things that god put inside of us we're an orange right we're we're a fruit to get real biblical we're a fr- our bodies, our lives are supposed to be a fruit. And that fruit is not what's on the outside. The fruit is what is on the inside through our Torah study, through our, our prayer life, through our faith walk, through all of these things as we as we cultivate our relationship with Hashem and our relationship with others and as we ascend, as we elevate spiritually. That's all the point. But that that is so that we can physically live out that those wisdom, wisdom and and that elevation in the world so that we elevate the world around us. does that make sense so the, the 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 part that we have have demonized for so long or that has been demonized for us for so long actually is a is a necessary part it's a necessary part of the whole process now the flesh. The Tafel gets a bad rap because it is supposed to be the root of sin, right? It's the place where sin is. And that's true. And we see that in the case of Esau, if it's priority, if, if our flesh and our existence and our, and this becomes Ikar, if it becomes the essence, then yes, that is, the, the, it is bound to be a life filled with, with sin because it's missing the mark. It's missing the priority, then it becomes selfish, it becomes self-serving, it becomes self-proliferating, it becomes about me and what my goals are. It becomes then it becomes that making a god of myself. And so in a weird, twisted, roundabout way, what we've what we've kind of really we've kind of really done through some doctrinal understandings and understandings of Paul and things like that is we've actually turned ourselves into the the fleshy people that we don't want to be that we're trying not to be that which we don't want to become we actually have really concretized and really substantiated as the way to live a quote unquote faith life or christian life because we are so focused on on flesh that it has become our god we've become our own god we focused on us making sure that that we are you know we are doing things and we are we are being who we're supposed to be so much that we've we've left out the purpose for being that way. The purpose for being that way is so that we can elevate the world around us and bring, help to bring redemption, as Messiah taught us to, as Messiah modeled for us, as He challenged us to, right? As He gave us that responsibility. And so, through the story of Yaakov and Esau, we have to ask ourselves, which one am I? It doesn't mean that I. You know, I'm a complete, you know, Bible nerd and I have to spend all my time in my, you know, room locked up studying and all. And if that's you, great. Go, we need people like you. But that's not all it means. What it means simply is putting the right things in the right place and an understanding that, listen, my flesh, quote unquote, does things that I don't want it to do. But the purpose, the point is that I need, I need, right, flesh. I need, I need to exist in the world because the commandments are physical. The commandments are physical. So that that inner wisdom that we're learning as we study Torah, as we study the scriptures, as we study the words of Messiah, those things that we're learning are are producing wisdom that then need to be lived out through that tafel, through that flesh, through that existence. So, I, I know this is maybe kind of hard to get your head around. It may be kind of an abstract concept, but I hope it lands for some of you. And I hope it helps you not to hate yourself as much. Don't hate yourself. Just put the right thing as the right thing. And let it come out and emanate and radiate throughout your life. Bring redemption to you and the world around you. I love you guys. Hope you have a great week. Until next week, shalom, shalom.